This is uh, Thanksgiving season. How many of y'all are ready for it? Oh, man, y'all are weak. Weak. Turkey and dressing, it's the day you can gorge yourself, and it's legal and all that good stuff. And so uh, all the great recipes come out of, uh, out of the pantries. But uh, I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful for you guys. I mean, what God does, like seeing the light come on in somebody's soul, like Wade shared earlier. What I heard somebody share at the end of the first gathering was that a year ago this time, a lady started attending Grace Point, and at Thanksgiving, she was estranged from her three grown children. And she said, this Thanksgiving, not only do I have a church family, not only do I have a relationship with Christ, but I am reconnected with my three children and will spend Thanksgiving with them. Isn't that awesome? God's awesome. Give him a hand. He is worthy of our praise and he's doing some great things. I'm thankful that the elections are over and I don't have to watch all those election ads anymore. Thank the Lord for that. That's worthy of praise. Until the next election comes out and they'll start be running those ads soon. But you know, uh, one of the phrases in this whole political climate that has kind of come uh, up is fake news. I don't know if you've heard that. It's, it's, it's one of those buzzwords out there, but it's uh, fake news. And we don't know what's real, what's fake, what's fake news, what's, what's real news. And it depends on if you're watching Fox, what's fake news, and what's watching uh, uh, CNN, what's fake news, and what the president says, and what anyway. So everyone's claiming that anything against them is fake news. And it's funny how the Democrats throw it across, the Republicans, Republicans across. It's just a, it's a hot mess. But you know, the, the reality of fake news has gone back to the Roman Empire. Okay, I understand that historical ancient age better, better than any other time period. But you go back to Octavian whenever he was in B.C., was um, uh, first century B.C., was uh, in kind of his, uh, his prime of his life, young life, governing, ruling, general in the army, in the Roman army. But he hurls out this, this um, rumor, if you will, puts it out in the press of that day, puts it out of Mark Antony that he was a drunkard, a womanizer, and that whenever he came to power as general going to become maybe Caesar or, or, or rule, rule the Roman Empire, he was going to give it over to Cleopatra and the, the entire Roman Empire would become Egyptian rule. And so from that rumor, from that fake news that went out, Mark Antony commits suicide supposedly or maybe even was killed. So we don't know uh, about that, but that's fake news. But fake news in the first century BC, fake news in the first century AD was when Nero in 64 AD burns the city of Rome and blames it on the Christians. All right, that's what you do. Whenever you do something wrong, you blame it on somebody else and you create fake news. And they believed it. The people of Rome believed it and they began to persecute. And thousands of Christians in 64 were in Rome, were burned at the stake. And therefore it began what became known as the persecution of the church. And there will be 10 subsequent persecutions of the church from Nero all the way up to Constantine that were state-sanctioned persecutions. And so there's just a lot of darkness that that all started though with fake news. There's fake news that happens today. I know we talk about in the media, but there's fake news whenever we rewrite history to make it fit what we wanted to say. That's revisionist history. And it happens in our day and age, and we have to be careful of that. We have to make sure we're read, reading from original documents and we're understanding history in light of its context. So there's a lot of things out there that we can't trust. We don't know what we can trust. Is there truth? 
is really what it comes down to. Can we trust what people say is true? Is there such thing as truth? Or is truth in the eye of the beholder? Is there absolute truth or is there no absolute truth, which is an absolute statement unto itself? So think about it, for example. But Jesus... In his life and ministry, he said there was truth and it wasn't a philosophy, an ideology, a point in history and time. It was a person. Truth was a person. He said, I am the way, I am the life, I am the truth. I'm the standard, I'm the which, I'm the true north. I'm the, the one in which you measure off of. Now, you might, if you're still in the process of believing and sorting out the Christian faith or faiths of the world, you might look at that and go, okay, that's pretty self-centered to say that about, about yourself. But that's the standard that which I build my faith faith on. Paul later on goes on to write and he says, speak the truth in love. That's a good thing to do. Speak the truth in love. And he says, and we are, uh, we are to grow up in every way into him pointing back to our true North pointing back to Jesus. So when we speak truth in love, we're literally becoming more and more like Jesus. See, here's one of the things I want us to understand. We talk about love being greater than hate. We're not taking this at a surface level. I feel love, therefore I love. That's an emotion-based love. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about truth-based love. Okay, that's a different level. That's a different depth of love. I want to love you in truth, with truth. I want to give truth to you. I want to speak the truth in love to you. So there is a tight connection, interwovenness between love and truth. Truth, uh, one of the marks of love is unadulterated, unqualified truth. One of the marks of hatred is deception, lying, uh, mis- misleading the shadowiness of this world. What we have to see today, and hopefully we'll see it as we look at First John, is that if one side of the coin is truth, the other side of the coin is love, and that you cannot separate the two out. When we know truth, we will love. When we love, we will know truth. John chapter 8, verse 32. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who doesn't want to be set free? Again, truth is what we're getting at today. Take your Bibles and be open to the book of 1 John. We'll be there in a moment. The Apostle John has been leading us in our study as we've been looking at 1 John and his writings. And he's called the beloved. He is the love disciple, if you will. He's the one that that uh, leaned his head over on Jesus, it says in Scripture. He's the one that is called the beloved disciple of Jesus. He had this very pastoral heart about him. He loved the people that God put in his life. He loved the churches. He was a pastor. Paul was a missionary. John was a pastor. To what Paul was in the missionary, John was as a pastor. He loved the seven churches. That's why he wrote letters to them in the book of Romans. Or excuse me, in the book of Revelation, he wrote seven letters to the seven churches in, in the first chapters of Romans. You also read these three letters that he's writing. First John, second John, third John are all letters that he writes. And you can see in there a constant, constant communication of love and truth truth and love being married together. But as much as John was known as the beloved, tender, soft, pastoral kind of guy, he was also known as the thunder. 
Before he became the beloved disciple, he was the son of thunder. That was literally his nickname. He and his brother had nicknames and they were called the sons of thunder. And so that's in the gospel of Mark. You can read that. So when you think about it, what God did in the life of, uh, of John was pretty incredible. He took him from a raging bull in a china closet kind of person, maybe, who liked to brawl, as I can imagine a son of thunder, uh, moved him in heart and spirit to this pastoral caring individual. But I tell you what, you back John into a corner, you push against him in the wrong way, and he'll go Conor McGregor on you in a heartbeat. He'll body slam you. He'll take care of you because that, what we see in this passage today is he gets a little, a uh, little, a little feisty. He gets a little bit up. He gets a little upset. He gets upset at the lies that are being told that are undermining the truth that is destroying the love that is tearing down the church. You see where it digresses? So what he does is he gets all up in arms over this and he starts pointing it out. And so what we're going to see today, I want you to read it through the lens of a pastor who loves his people and he's going to call them children. He's going to call them beloved. But what he's angry about, he's angry about these people that are lying and creating deception and shadowy truths that were literally tearing apart the faith. So just keep that in context as we jump into the text. So 1 John chapter 4 is where we kind of get our first little challenge from John or where we're going to get our first challenge today. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. So basically, there's some lies out there, guys and gals. But just, just because your professor says it and he has PhDs behind his name or her name doesn't mean it's true. Hey, listen, I'll put all myself on the line. Just because Mike McDaniel says it, don't believe it. Just because mom and dad say it, don't believe it. You need to check it against a standard of truth, of right and wrong, of what's good and acceptable and true and, and timeless, okay? That's what you need to base truth on. You need to figure that out, and you need to sink your, your, your teeth into what real truth is. He says, test it. Don't believe everything out there. This is the way he says it in the message. My dear friends, notice the pastoral side. Don't believe everything you hear. That's good advice from Mama, and it's good advice from Apostle John. Careful, carefully, carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. So we need to realize that there's a lot of fake truth that's being proposed as truth that we need to have a level of discernment and awareness that we're going to know what truth is and what a lie is. Now let's jump into the text. Chapter 2, go back to chapter 2, verse 18. And again, notice what he opens up with. The very first word is children. This is not the first time and it won't be the last time. Children, it is the last hour. All right, he's going to say this twice in this one verse. And as you have heard... Some of y'all have heard this word before, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrist have come. He said, listen, they're not coming. They have come. They arrived. They're here. They're present. Therefore, we know that we are in the last hour. 
Now, before we go any further, what is this last hour? What's he talking about here? And, of course, there's a whole theology circles that you can study in eschatology, which is the study of the end times. And he might be referring to end times eschatology studies and all that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you at least this. He's at least referring to the end of his last days. He is now the oldest and the last living disciple. We're talking 95 A.D., Jesus was dead, risen, and ascended back in the 30s. Peter and Paul were dead back in the 60s, uh, martyred for their faith. All the other disciples by now have been, have been killed for their faith. John's the only one who dies of natural causes. So if nothing else, he's looking at his stopwatch and saying, my days are numbered. I'm almost finished. It's in the last day. So it at least means that, maybe means some eschatology stuff, but we'll save that for another day. They went out from us, but they were not of us. And he's referring to Christians or, or at least, excuse me, church members, if you will, that came into the church, but then they left the church. They continued, had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be come plain that they were not of us. Basically, the proof's in the pudding. If you go the distance, then it shows that you are a follower of Christ. If you quit on him, I don't know that you ever were. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. We're going to come back to this one. And you all have knowledge that I write to you, not because you do not know the truth. Okay, he's going to come back to truth and truth again. But because you know that it, you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. You cannot mix truth and lie together. There's no gray area. There's no white lies. There is truth and there is a lie. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He clearly defines what the Antichrist is. The person who denies that he's the Christ. He who denies that the, the, the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. Now you can start circle the word abide. He's going to use it a bunch of times. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, even or then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what the promise that he made to us, which was the promise, it was eternal life. So I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you. Again, abides. We'll come back to that. And have you not, uh, have you no need of anyone to teach you? But as his anointing teaches you about everything that is true and no lie, just as it has taught you, Abide in him. So you can maybe hear John's deep warnings. Listen, not everybody out there is speaking the truth. There's something out there called the Antichrist. There's a lot of them. We'll get to that in a few moments. And then he ends because then he goes into something else that's about more about how we have a relationship with Jesus. And we'll talk about that next week. And in fact, next Sunday, we're going to have what's called Family Worship Sunday. We'll have all the children in here from, uh, from uh, Kid Nation. And they're going to come in. They're going to worship with us. We're going to have uh, Lord's Supper together. It'll be a beautiful time to finish out the holiday, the holiday weekend together. And we're going to study this next passage of Scripture then. And then he goes on into talking about loving one another. It's a beautiful kind of, but then he stops. Have you ever had that conversation with somebody and you think, okay, we finally got off that rant. 
And then you move on, and then that person brings you back to the rant again. Well, that's exactly what John does. And so we're going to skip over, and we're going to read chapter 4, verses following. Because it's like, I didn't get it all off my chest. i got to say some more about this. Believe, uh, beloved. Again, this is the fourth time he's going to use that in in this entire book. Beloved, he's loving on them. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are, are, are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, the spirit. Now, I want you to circle these words again if you're a note taker and all that kind of stuff, because we're going to see the Trinity in one passage of Scripture. You'll not see the word Trinity, but you'll see the Trinity right here. The spirit of God and every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, has come in the flesh, is from God. So you see the Trinity working in unity here. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is from is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard from uh, uh, was coming and now is in the world. So we're not talking about future tense. We're talking about present tense. He is here among us right now, little children. Now he gets really intimate with them again. You are from God. And you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Underscore that, highlight that, bold that statement. We'll come back to that. They are from the world. Therefore, they, uh, they speak from the world and, uh, and the world listens to them. But we are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. And whoever is not from God does not listen to us. But notice this last phrase. He comes back to it. But this we know. The spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, Paul, now John in his writings here, he, he's continuing on this whole what love is greater than hate theme, I think. But he's, he's, he's moving beyond love. He's going down into the truth and the belly of what really is where love rests. And if you look at the outline of John, First John's letter, you, you, he contrasts light and darkness and love and hate. And then he, now today, he really kind of contrasts what truth and lies look like. And if you break it all down, in fact, if you go to John's writings, you'll find it 25 times in the Gospel of John alone. Gospel of John, 21 chapters, 25 times, he refers to the word truth. Truth is a major theme of John. But if you go just to his letters where he's writing the churches, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 20 times in his letters alone, he refers to truth. There was a major, listen, listen, there was a major eroding of the foundations of that day. A major erosion of the foundations of that day that they needed to be very, very aware of. And so here's what I want to say to us. There's a major erosion happening in our day and age. And how are we going to raise up the next generation to know truth? There are some lies, some fake truths that are out there that are being espoused that we need to be aware of. And so jot them down because they're not new. (laughs) They're what's still being told today, told in a different color, different light, different angles, whatever. But here's the first, I guess, true or, or, or lie that we need to be aware of or fake truth that we need to be aware of is that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. My friends, I want to say Jesus is enough, but I want to say in this day and age, this world is saying Jesus is not enough. Jesus is a, is a good guy in a lot of people's eyes. In fact, if you go back to the New Testament, 
The Jews hated Jesus because Jesus intruded on their faith, okay? He basically came in and said, no, you're about the law and I'm about grace and the law, the truth only points or the law only points to grace and points to Jesus. But listen, I, so he intrudes on them. The Romans, however, the Romans were annoyed by Jesus because he was a disturber of their status quo, their paganism, their materialism, their, their, uh, the way they lived their life and entitlement. But there was also another group out there that really John's really diving into, and it's the Gnostics. We'll unpack that in a few moments, but they were mystified. They were mystified by Jesus. They saw Jesus as a personification of God, but not God. Gnostics believed that, and we, we know what little we know about them, they believed that, that matter, physical matter, could not be divine. So Jesus, being in physical body, couldn't have been God. Does that make sense? Since he was physical, he couldn't be God because there's no way that God would mix matter with deity. And so therefore he couldn't have been God, but he's a good man. He's a good example. Listen to his teachings kind of thing. Listen, we do the same thing today. We get to where some people don't like God because he interrupts their faith. We don't like God because he disrupts or we're annoyed by God because he disrupts our materialism, our status quo. We think God's a, we're almost mystical with Jesus because we want the personification of Jesus, but we don't want the real Jesus. I used to say this about, about American culture and Jesus is like Baskin Robbins and the 31 flavors. You just pick out which flavor of Jesus you like. But I no longer think that. I think we have the Cold Stone Creamery view of Jesus. Anybody like Cold Stone Creamery? Raise your hand. All right. Anybody go in there into the little cabinet and get free samples and just eat free samples a lot? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right. Don't lie. Okay. Start with that today. Premise number one. So I I go in there. I like to get the free samples. I already know which one I'm going to get, but I'm just going to eat the free samples until I get tired of eating free samples. But anyway, you're looking there at the counter. What do you do? You've got all these options of ice cream, and then you pick your ice cream. They plop it down on this marble slab there, cold, and they then you get to pick what part you want in there. Man, you can make it. Mine is Mud Pie Mojo. I don't know if you ever had the Mud Pie Mojo, but it's legit. It's got chocolate and Oreos and peanut butter, and it's just really good stuff. But then you also choose whether you're going to like it, love it, or what's the next one? Got to have it. Got to have it. Love it. So you got to have it. So there, you got all these options. Well, that's the way we do with Jesus. I like this flavor of Jesus. Add a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then I got to decide if I'm going to like Jesus, love Jesus, or got to have Jesus. And that's how we deal with Jesus today. We have this kind of convoluted, messed up understanding of who Jesus is. Justin Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times said it like this. There's a black Jesus and a white Jesus, a homely Jesus and a handsome Jesus, a capitalist, a socialist, a stern, a hippie, a hardworking social reformer, and a mystical comforter Jesus. There's all kinds of Jesuses out there. You get to pick your Jesus or not. The Jesus that some people like to pick and they want to pick apart the Jesus that they want. They want their Jesus to be the Jesus that favors their lifestyles, the personification Jesus, the Gnostic Jesus. They don't want the Jesus that's the true Jesus who makes all the decisions. I want to quick with my hands there. 
This is a Gnostic Bible, by the way. Their Bible's bigger than our Bible, okay? The thing about the Gnostic faith that continued to emerge and grow and morph and change, there was not one central doctrine. There was doctrines that continued to develop and change and whatever kind of Jesus you wanted, they would write it. So there's all kinds of gospels out there. There's the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of, uh, of, uh, of Adam or the revelation of Adam and you, uh, the gospel of truth and the gospel of Philip. These were all Gnostic gospels. And you can watch the history channel and they'll refer to these as historical books about Jesus. And it's the making of Jesus in the way that we want to make Jesus. And that's a lie. John made it very clear when he was writing his letter in eight times in five chapters, he refers to Jesus, not as Jesus, but as Jesus Christ. Now that may not be a big deal to you, but when I was growing up, I used to think that Jesus was his first name and Christ was his last name. That's not his first and last name. What John was declaring was this Jesus guy is not just Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus, the son of Mary, Jesus, the son of Joseph. No, no, no. They would have called him Jesus bar Joseph. This was Jesus who is the Christ. Jesus who is the anointed one from God. Jesus, the one that we have been waiting for for generations, Jewish faith. And if you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ and he is your Christ and he is your Lord, then you are, listen, antichrist. That's the standard. He even made it clear. If you don't believe that Jesus is from God, he is is God. He is from God. He has the origin of God. He has the nature of God. He is God. He is in every way God, the God, the Father, God, the Son is. He is as much God as any of them. If you don't believe that, you're antichrist. When you come to this passage, there's a lot of people uh, that that get into this passage, and we read it a few moments ago. Let's look at it again real quickly. Uh, Verse uh, verse 14, or verse... um, Verse 18, he says, uh, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and now the Antichrist has come, and, and then down to verse uh, 22, he says this, and who is a liar? The one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the anointed. He is God. This is the Antichrist. He gives the definition. Now, let's pause here. I'm going to give you something totally free today. This has nothing to do with the message, but I got to do it real quickly. Who's the Antichrist? Because when you get that question thrown out among people, oh, they like to get charts and maps out. And they like to give you the eschatology on who the Antichrist is. And they start predicting who the Antichrist is. And every sin, how many of y'all have liked studying the end times or any of that kind of stuff? Okay, that's one that really piques a lot of people's interest in that. And the Antichrist is one of them. Who is the Antichrist? And it has been hilarious, sad and hilarious, all rolled up in one. Since I've been paying attention. So I can remember back when President Ford was the president barely as a kid. And then I can remember Carter, and then I remember Reagan, and right up to the present. Okay, so I can remember them. Every since Jimmy Carter, so I don't know, ever since back, Jimmy Carter, they, he has been, they have been labeled, our presidents have been labeled Antichrist by somebody out there. Jimmy Carter was labeled the Antichrist because he made a peace treaty between Israel and Egypt, and no other president was able to do that. So therefore, Jimmy Carter was the Antichrist. Kid you not. Number two, Ronald Reagan. 
Ronald Reagan was, and I've got stuff, I've collected through the years files on this stuff because it's just hilarious. And again, I sit kind of white. Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. You know why? Because his name was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters in his first name, six letters in his middle name, and six letters in his last name. And there are people out there who propose that Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist because he had 666. I go on. The, uh, the George H. Bush was the Antichrist because he talked and used phrases like the one world government, the new world order. And he referred to things like that. So therefore, people began to label him the Antichrist. Now, another thing that's interesting about this, my Democratic friends like to call the Republicans the Antichrist. And my Republican friends like to always point to the, the Democrats as the Antichrist. So there's, a, there's not a bipartisan in this. There's a very partisan a labeling goes on in this world. So I never could find anybody who labeled Clinton the Antichrist, but he had his own problems unto himself. So he was too busy with other stuff. So uh, Obama was considered the Antichrist by some, and I had to dig for this one. But there was somebody who actually wrote on it. I found the blog site for it that said that because in the state of Illinois, while he was either elected or in the election process, there was a lottery number that was picked And it was 666. And because Obama was from Illinois, he is the Antichrist. So that's how bizarre and weird people can get with this stuff. Let's talk about Trump. (laughs) I got a letter not too long ago that stated why Trump is the Antichrist. And I read it and kept it. It's a beautiful piece of artwork. Um... But it's stated because he is such good friends with Russia. And if you study end time prophecy, they talk about Mog, Magog, and all that kind of stuff. And that's supposedly Russian because Russia and the end time prophecy of those people, they believe that Russia is going to enter into Israel and conquer Israel. That means because Trump is friends with Russia or colluding with Russia, he's the Antichrist. I just say, have fun with that. Who's the next Antichrist? The reality is, who was he talking about? He was talking about somebody on that day in that time because he said he's alive. He's right here. He's down here alive. And Antichrist is anybody who doesn't see Christ and recognize Christ as God in their life. Now, let's just talk about this room. Is, is, is God an interrupter? Is Jesus an interrupter of your life? An intruder in your life? Is he the personification of God, but not God in your life? You're an antichrist. Examine your soul. Who is Jesus to you? If he's not enough, if he's not everything, then you're believing, I think, a lie. The second fake truth that is out there is I am alone. I am alone. Satan wants to isolate us, wants to put us off uh, 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 alone by ourselves. I want us to take a phone survey today. Take out your phones. Any of y'all have been here before? We've done this before. You're going to take your phone. You're going to uh, dial in on your text messaging. If you want to participate, you don't have to. Um, regular cell phone rates will apply. Uh, but uh, you will you will you will dial in uh, to two two three three three, and in the message column, you're going to put uh, there there it is GPC NWA. And here's the question: I want you to ask yourself the question: If you had one of two options, either I can 
walk with Jesus in the 33 years of ministry that he had, or in the three years of ministry that he had on the earth. I could walk with him, talk with him, touch him, eat dinner with him, see his miracles, see his death, burial, and resurrection. Or you could have the Spirit of God live with you 24-7 for the rest of your life. Three, three years with Jesus, walking with Jesus, physically touching him, being with him, or would you rather live with the Holy Spirit in your life? You can see the answers are coming in. They were coming in from the last service, and there's still answers coming in. I didn't know what, when I asked that question, I didn't know what people would say. But it is interesting that the Holy Spirit, for all the days of my life, is preferred over walking and talking with Jesus on the earth. And I don't think there's right or wrong about that. But when you force somebody to make that decision, I'm, I'm letter B, guys. And here's why. Because I want Jesus, I want the presence of God, I want the Holy Spirit with me all the time. When you look at John chapter 14, verse 16 to 18, and you can jot it down and read it for yourself, but it says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Notice the intimacy that God wants to have with us. To be with you forever. Even with the spirit of truth. So listen, guys, we ought not be deceived. We ought not be swayed. We ought not be in the dark anymore. The spirit of truth is with us whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be with you and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He gets into this. He says, I want to be an intimate relationship with you and I'm going to send my spirit and he's going to live with you and he's going to abide with you. And this whole abiding thing is something that John really gets focused in on. When he's trying to bring them away from the lies that are out there, notice what he said in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Don't chase after this new belief of Gnosticism. Let what you have heard from the beginning. You don't need a new faith, a new church, a new new religion. Let what you heard from the beginning. I think about what Jude said. The faith once delivered to the saints in Jude chapter 1 verse 3. We don't need a new faith. We don't need a new religion. We don't need a new doctrine. We don't need a new God. We just need to realize what we have with Jesus and the Holy Spirit abiding in us, abiding in us. Let this truth abide in you, present, active. It's something that I do. It's something that happens every day of my life. He's asking me to abide, but he doesn't say it just once. He says it again and again and again. Look at, look at, look, go on reading with me. For what you have heard from the beginning, abide in it. Then you, will too, uh, then you too will abide in the Son. Skip on down to verse 27. But the anointing uh, that you received from him abides in you. Notice this abiding, abiding. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And John loves this word. He uses it more than 68 different times in all of his writings, more than any other writer in the New Testament. 68 times in the Gospel of John, the First John, Second John, and Third uh, in the book of Revelation. He uses this word abide. He wants to get it into our hearts and our heads. The awareness of God, the alignment with God. The awareness of God, the alignment with God. I don't enter into a single moment of my life that God's Spirit is not with me. I don't enter into a single decision of my life that if I consult with the Spirit of God, that He doesn't lead me. 
I'm not talking something that I have that you don't have because I'm a pastor and you, you aren't. Not at all. As a follower of Christ, He gives me the Spirit of Christ to abide in me, to be with me, to make decisions through life and in life. I just went through the New Testament this week. I just Let me read to you real quickly everything that the Holy Spirit will do in the life of a believer. Just listen. He empowers you to love. He reveals the deep things of God. He gives gifts uh, to, impact, uh, 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 to impact life. He enables you to confess Christ. He unifies his believers. He gives you access to the Father. He strengthens you with power in your inner beings. He brings freedom. He makes you holy. He sets you apart as a child of God. He builds you up in the person you, you are meant to become. He empowers you to speak God's good news to others. He energizes you. He helps you to know what is right and what is wrong. He helps you to recall the teachings of Jesus. He directs you into serving God. He gives you hope. He fills you. He leads you. He compels you to act. He helps you in your weaknesses. He prays for you when you don't know how to pray. He pleads your case before God. He is your advocate, your helper, your counselor, your presence in the power of God living in you. The promise is to complete the work in, in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen out of that one? Yes, give him a hand. There's sometimes we got to wake ourselves up and we got to realize that as a follower of Jesus, Jesus is enough and I am not alone. I am not alone and Jesus is enough. And if he is not enough, what else are you substituting with? Don't be an antichrist. Let Jesus be enough in our lives. I've spoke with a, a friend, uh, David, this past week, and he gave me permission to share this story. He used to be a part of Grace Point, now lives in Kentucky. And we were, we were conversing back and forth, and he was reminding me of the time that he was driving down McCollum Road. And he grew up in the Mormon church. He grew up as his family dates all the way back to the early prophets of the Mormon church. That's how far back. He was educated as a Mormon, was a missionary as a Mormon. He did everything. He turned off McCollum one day onto Kirchy Cove and he had the option of going left, which he's always done, or going right. And that day, he went right. He went into our parking lot. He pulls up. He walks into our church and he sits down. And... To this day, that was five, six years ago, he points to that day as the day that started a new life in him. He said, I realized that the legalism and the do-goods and the whatever that I had been trained in was actually not fulfilling the deepness of my soul. And in his own words, and I want to read them, he said, the Holy Spirit became his teacher as he began to create a genuine personal relationship with God for the first time in his life. Let me just say this. If Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are not a part of your story, you're living a lie. You need to understand that. And the last fake truth that Satan wants you to hear and live in is you're a loser. You're a loser. 
He, he wants you to know that of the sins, the mistakes, the shortcomings, the, the, the regretful moments, all that kind of stuff. You can't get past those. Those are, those are insurmountable. That, that, that time you cheated, that time you lied, that time you broke, that, 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 that promise, that time, that time, that time. And he just continues to want to bring them up. He's the accuser, the Bible says, of the brethren. He's the accuser. He wants to throw it in our face again and again and again. He wants to call us a loser. And it's a fake truth that we got to understand. We got to see. Because shame and regret and fear and anxiety and doubt and inferiority and discouragement have crippled so many people for so long. And I want to say to you, on the authority of the blood of Christ, the presence of his spirit, by the teachings of his word, we are free and we have a new life in Christ. And we do not fight for our freedom. We do not fight for uh, uh, new life. We fight from it. We have a new life in Christ that only comes through him. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4 because he brings us back to what Christ has done in us. He says, little children, you are from God. He tells us who I am. I am from God. My origin, my line, my genetics, my the blood of Christ that covers me is a part of my life. What, what is your name? What does the name of Christ mean to you? It means new life. It's who I am. You are from God. If somebody said they're a Walton, if somebody said they were a Buffett, if somebody said they were a a jobs, one of the first questions in your mind would be, are you related to so-and-so? Well, I hope that when people look at me, they see that I'm related to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who am I? I am from God. But he also goes on to say, he says, have overcome them. He not only speaks of who I am, he speaks of what I am. I'm a victor. I have victory in my life. What am I? I am a victor. I have overcome because Christ has overcome in me. But not only that, he tells me what I have. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I have victory. I'm not alone. I'm not a loser. Jesus is enough. Do I believe it? Do I really believe it? Do you walk in that truth? I was in a city this past week, and it won't take you long to figure out what city it was. But it became real to me when I was talking with a pastor there that literally we live from addictions to addictions in our culture today. In this city alone, uh, marijuana is legal. Prostitution is legal. Gambling is legal. Um... Alcohol flows freely. Uh, many of the vices that, that we might look at as the mafia, uh, the mayor of the city uh, used to be a lawyer for the mafia, so organized crime is recognized in the city. What city am I referring to? Las Vegas. We look at that city and we call it Sin City, right? Why? Because what we... What we call darkness and what we call that, it, it's out in the public, it's legalized, it's all there. And one of the things it dawned on me, actually on the plane right back yesterday, is, you know, the things that happen openly in the city there and are legalized there, listen, 
we do privately here. The addictions, the sicknesses that we hide from here, they do openly there. And I'm not dogging that city. There's some great people and God's doing some great work in that city. That's just that city. But what we might do privately. See, some people aren't overcomers. They don't act like children of God and they don't let the spirit of God that is in them work greater than the spirit of God, the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist outside of them because they're not walking in truth. They're walking a lie. I pray to God that's not you today. We have a great God. And the great God makes us great people, not because of our greatness, but because of his greatness. Would you bow your heads with me? I just, I want you to set in the questions today of your own soul that is Jesus enough? Or is Jesus just a good example? Is Jesus just a a future God in your life that's going to save you from the darkness of sin one day? Or is he the Christ of your soul? Are you alone? Do you live alone? Do you walk alone? Do you walk in the full awareness of the abiding presence of the Spirit of God where he is teaching and guiding and directing your life? Do you live in that? What about... You feel like a loser today. Has shame wrapped its arms, its cloak around you, and it will not let go? My friends, I want to say, you can be an overcomer. Not because of what you do, but because of what Christ wants to do in you. When you become his child, who you are, then he does what he does and he makes us overcomers. And when we become overcomers, greater is he that is in us than the one who is in the world. Do you know the great God? Father God, you know us, you know our hearts. Don't let us hide. Don't let us keep secret any longer things that might separate us from the love of God that we would live in a hate filled world and miss the love of God that is enough in Jesus that is present in your Holy Spirit abiding in us and that is the victorious work of Christ through us. May we know freedom today. Freedom to live, freedom in truth, and freedom to love. You are a great God and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and worship our great God.